Amen. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Is it too early to say that? Maybe. Well, uh, yeah, a uh, quick funny story about uh, why I'm preaching here this morning. So, um, you know, the last time I checked, I think I preached 12 or 13 years ago. It was like a long, long, long time ago. And believe me, there has been like no chatter about me preaching anytime soon. But the strangest thing happened a few weeks ago, and I want to tell you about that. So it was a Thursday night, and I was reaching into my refrigerator, which I do a lot at night. And I was pulling the refrigerator open, and I had this distinct impression fly into my mind, and it just stuck there. And it, the, the thought went like this, that I should prepare to, to share a message on December 31st on the topic of the presence of God which is this foundation to the kingdom of God. So right there in the kitchen, a few kind of thoughts started taking shape of how the, the message could go. <clears throat> and then the next day, I got this email from Tim. And he said this, Hey, John, I'm talking with Jeff. I was talking to Jeff earlier today, and we finalized the preaching schedule. And we'd like to ask you to teach on, you guessed it, Sunday, December 31st, and I was originally thinking something along the lines of living into the kingdom in 2018. It's like, what? That is so crazy. I mean, what on earth do you do with that? I hadn't told anybody about that. It just happened the night before. So I think, I think what happened was God knew that if I were asked if I would want to preach, I'd probably say no. So he kind of gave me a nudge the night before. Well, the reason I tell you that story is for two reasons. One is it kind of explains why I'm here today and Jeff is not here today or Tim's not here. But the second is that that's a perfect example of our topic that we're considering this morning. And that's experiencing life in God's kingdom, experiencing kingdom presence. So uh, as you guys know, it's New Year's Eve and everybody is thinking about 2018, right? So I've got a question for you. What do you want to do first in 2018? What is on the top of your priority list? Like before everything else, what do you want out of 2018? What are you going to do first? Maybe get a new job, get married, have a baby, get out of debt, find a boyfriend, whatever it is. Well, you know, there's a few times in Scripture where Jesus just dropped these epic statements on us. Something that he tells us is a priority over everything else. And uh, perhaps Jesus' most famous one is right in the middle of his most famous sermon. And uh, by the way, that sermon is on the kingdom of God. And it's in Matthew 6, And that's kind of the driving verse for this morning. And that verse, Jesus says this, Seek first the kingdom of God. Now the Greek word for that word first is proto. And that carries the connotation of both being um, first, like in sequence, and also above, before and above. Jesus say, is saying to us, seek the kingdom, because that is the most important thing. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, so today is going to look a little bit different. I'm not uh, as seasoned as Tim and Jeff. But what I want to do is I just want to share a little bit and unpack my spiritual journey for you and my quest to find the kingdom of God and four of the ways that I've discovered to seek it. Now, these are things that have really helped me, and my prayer is for you guys this morning that it'll help you too. So uh, why don't we stop and just invite God to be here this morning. 
So um, let's turn to God. Let's pray. And I'm going to ask you actually just to take a moment and let the peace of God just kind of fill your soul and just invite him to speak to you. So do that. Just take a moment and do that. Father, speak today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and do your work. Give us hunger for your kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, um, this morning what I want to do is I just want to unpack my spiritual life a little bit for you. My journey, my quest to find the kingdom, and four discoveries that I had. But would you do me a favor? I don't do this a lot. So um, maybe you owe me a favor today to help me. Would you, I, I put a program or we program, uh, uh, an outline on your seat. If you wouldn't mind grabbing that and uh, taking a look at it, I think you'll find it helpful. And maybe even grab a pen and fill in some blanks. But like I said, I want to share with you four of my discoveries of how I learned to seek the kingdom of God. And the first way that I learned to seek kingdom presence was by getting a vision of it. Now, honestly, I think one of the reasons why people maybe don't search for kingdom presence as much as maybe Jesus instructs them to is because they don't have a clear, compelling vision for it. Now, I emailed the staff a couple weeks ago, and I said, when I found out that I was uh, teaching, I said, what do you think the kingdom of God is? And I got responses all over the place. In fact, a couple of people said, I don't know. I have no idea what the kingdom of God is. And you might be like that this morning. You have no idea what the kingdom is. Well, imagine, imagine this circle you see on the stage here. Imagine this is the kingdom of God or kingdom presence. If someone asked you to describe what was in this circle, how would you describe the kingdom of God? What would you say to them? Well, I thought I'd help us all this morning, just kind of give us a common understanding of what the kingdom is. So write this down. I think this will be helpful. The kingdom of God is human flourishing that flows from nearness to God's presence and power. I'll say that again. The kingdom of God is human flourishing that flows from nearness to God's presence and power. Now, the kingdom of God is this place where God is ruling, and creation receives the benefit. Well, and that, I should say, that rule comes from his presence and power, and creation receives the benefit of his good leadership. That's flourishing. But at the core of the core of the core of the core of the kingdom of God is the presence of God. And since we don't have time this morning to talk about every aspect of the kingdom, and that would be a lot of fun, um, we're just going to focus on the main part of the kingdom of God this morning, and that's the presence of God. So now we have this kind of working description of what it is. It's human flourishing that flows from nearness to God's presence and power. So that's a description but I thought it might be actually really helpful to see what that looks like in real people's lives. So I got together some Brooksiders, and I asked them to kind of uh, share a little bit about their experiencing God's kingdom presence. And we put together a video for you. Let's uh, take a look at that right now. The way in which I most often experience God's presence is through the time that I spend reading the Bible. So as I open up 
his word, I want to come with a posture of heart that says, I do this not to be smarter about you, but because this is a place to know you. I actually remember the first time where I, I fully worshiped God, and it was the first time that I raised my hands and I was like fully surrendering worship to God. And it was something that I'll always remember because it was just an experience that I felt, I felt God so clearly. And I just surrendered everything that was going on in my life and I raised my hands and I was like, hey God, like this is, this is you, this is real. And it can be as simple as I'm back in church and there's that moment in worship where suddenly that connection is just there for a second. And it just takes a second. It's like you have that moment with God and you go, that's right, this is worth everything. Like this is better than the, than the days and the hours that I spend without God. The first time I like raised my hands, like breaking that barrier kind of thing, that like opened up my heart to his presence in a whole new way. It kind of changed the way I started worshiping. So I was driving my son Aiden to school one day and he said, mom, I had this dream and it happened just shortly after our friend Ed Noble had been out here and Aiden had been able to go to the Hearing God workshop and spend some time with Ed. So he was seeing Ed again and just hearing about Ed's faith and Ed's relationship with God. And so we're driving and Aiden says, mom, in this dream, Ed was telling me, hey, I'm gonna teach you how to surf. And I looked and there were sharks in the water and I thought, Oh, I see sharks, I don't know about this. And I said, Aiden, you know, there are times that I do think God speaks to us in dreams. There's a chance that that was God saying to you, this picture of faith that you see in Ed is an invitation to a great life. This life of faith, it's so exciting. Exciting and you don't wanna miss it, but there are hard things and there are gonna be sharks in the water, but that doesn't mean you don't jump in on the adventure and, and live this life of faith with God. And there's a verse that says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And I think when we take that next step and we invite him into our lives, he's gonna show you who he is and he's gonna, he's gonna be right there. We just have to see it and we have to open our eyes to those to those things, whether that's in creation, whether that's through worship, whether that's through walking and praying. God is not distant. He's close to us and he's speaking to us every day, all the time. Experiencing his presence, it begins this really wonderful circle in which time with God becomes something you don't even want to miss. When you collide with God and experience him, it brings joy and brings peace and it brings something that you just really don't want to let go. When I think about times that I've sensed the presence of God in my life, one thing that strikes me is that it's, it's like the biggest things and the, and the littlest things. The, the biggest things are like 13 years ago when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer and that was just a, a life kind of shattering event for us. And people have been through tougher things than we went through, but for us that was like the, the hardest thing that we'd been through. And, uh, and it went on for months and all the chemo and this was not a, this was like a, a, a whole season of life that was so full of, of, of fear and pain and all the stuff we were going through. But the, the silver lining is that maybe more than any other time in my life that the presence of God was so constant. And even as I wrestled through those, I can remember back to those years and there was a word that 
I think was a word from God, but just it kept coming to my mind over and over over the months and that was unshakable because so much in life was, was just going crazy. Like stuff that had seemed permanent was falling apart. And yet there was this sense that, you know, that God was, was there. I think that a lot of it is when we focus on God, He's there and He will He will answer us. And when we call out to Him and seek Him and when you go through something like that, every day you wake up and the first thing you think of is, if God doesn't come through, we're in trouble. And so you wake up every day and just that sense, that, you know, just knowing that every day I need God and you wake up and you pray in the morning and then you, you wait all day and you wait to hear what the doctors say and you go to sleep praying and, and it, it just changes the way you look at life. And so you go, you know, your life is just so full of the need for God and the desire for him to be there. And it's so constant that he shows up. And that doesn't mean half the time I was arguing with him, but he was there, right? Versus all those days that are so easy where you just wake up and you don't think about it. When you experience it, it is, a, it's so, fulfilling and it's so superior. Like you have those moments where, wait, God just showed up in my day. Uh, maybe it's just for a second. Maybe it's for a longer period of time. It's worth fighting through that and saying, okay, this isn't my experience, but you know, maybe I need to dig into this. It's, it's like that, the, that verse in Matthew, right? That it's the kingdom of God is like the treasure hidden in the field. It's that good. You would give up everything for it if you experience it. In, in those moments where you're experiencing it, it's, it's, it's just so evident that this is what I'm made for. Mm. You know, I love what Dan said there, that in those moments you have this clarity of mind. That's what I was made for. You know, experiencing kingdom presence means he offers us a chance to be his friend and literally walk through your day with him. There's this old movie um, where a kid, a nine-year-old boy, uh, receives on a birthday present, and it's a little wooden figurine of a Native American. And that night, he, this boy has kind of a, a routine, boring life, and then he goes to sleep that night, and the figurine <laughs> becomes alive, and he wakes up, and suddenly there's a real person in his room, and now the boy's life is just like flipped upside down, and his life becomes anything but ordinary. So my question for us this morning is, what would it look like if God, what if God was a real person and he could interact with us all through the day and we could take him with us? What kind of adventures would God want to lead us on? What kind of adventures would God want to lead you into? Well, see, kingdom presence means that we are regularly hearing his voice. And that's one of the fill in the blanks if you want to follow along with me. Kingdom presence means that we regularly hear his voice. Kingdom presence means that we can discern what he's doing and we join him there. And by the way, when we join him there, we see what he's doing and we join him, we find flourishing. And really that shouldn't be any surprise to us because in John, Jesus says, if you abide in my presence, you will bear much fruit. Well, kingdom presence means that we can sense God in the ordinary rhythms of life. It doesn't have to be big or flashy but we can perceive that his presence is with us as we go through our day. We see pictures of, of <clears throat> the kingdom presence 
in the Garden of Eden. We see it in the life of Jesus. And then we see it also in the book of Acts. You know, as a church, we went through the book of Acts this year. Wasn't that an awesome, awesome study? I just love the book of Acts. And when you look at the early church, I mean, they got it. I mean, they really got it. They preached and experienced the kingdom of God. And there were healings and unlikely adventures and people being led by God and crazy, wonderful stuff happening all over the place. Even in the midst of persecution, there seemed to be this joy and this undeniable sense that God was there with him. And he had his sleeves rolled up and he's, he's going to work in and through the disciples. Well, kingdom of God is all about this quality of life that happens when we're near God's presence. So I want you to think about the possibilities this morning. What if that were actually available to you today? Like the stuff we see in the book of Acts. What if that kind of stuff was actually available to you? What if, what if Jesus was inviting you into that kind of an adventure? What kind of adventures would he want to lead you into? This is the kind of kingdom presence that I think God wants for us. But once we have this kind of clear picture of what the kingdom of God is, we see it and we have kind of a, this definition of it and we, we see what it looks like in people's lives. Once we have that, then there's this reality that maybe some of us have to face. That the, the lives that we live day to day, sometimes those two circles between my life and the kingdom of God, the kingdom presence, they don't overlap very much. And when that happens, we have to face a decision. Do we get comfortable with the, my life the way it is? Or do we hunger for more? And that leads me to my second discovery about seeking the kingdom of God and seeking kingdom presence. <clears throat> As I learned, you have to refuse to settle for status quo. You see, I think there's probably two approaches to deal with this dilemma that I experienced in my life between what I was experiencing in my life and what it sure seemed like in the Bible that Jesus said that they were offering people where God would just seem so real to you. So the first approach is you call your own experience and your life that maybe doesn't overlap with the kingdom of God normal. And there's whole theologies that have arisen to explain why we're not even supposed to experience much of the kingdom in this life. Why, um, well, if, if you weren't a Bible character, uh, then you have to kind of wait till you get to heaven to experience God. Well, in this approach, what we've done is we've normalized our lack of experience of God, so we get used to it, and it doesn't really bother us anymore. And when we settle for that, we, I think we kind of settle for a limp form of Christianity, and it ce ceases to be life-transforming. And this is, honestly, I think how I've lived most of my life, even for a number of years, maybe here as a pastor. For most of my life, I didn't have much of a sense of the presence of God. Now, a little bit of context. You know, I'm a lifer. As far back as I have memory, I remember, uh, I can never remember a time where I didn't believe in Jesus and trust him for my salvation. At a very, very, very young age, I set God as my number one priority. I wanted to be a, a good Christian. And I wanted to follow, follow God and obey him. I had a fantastic Christian family. My parents modeled Jesus to me. I got a Bible degree at a Christian college. I got a master's in theology. I worked in two churches. Yet, for most of my life, I'll be honest, I still felt surprisingly distant from God. 
I saw the gap between these two realities in my life, and I was troubled by that. I saw that picture that Jesus was offering us in Scripture of how intimate the relationship and what we should be experiencing, and I felt the disconnect of what I was actually experiencing. But I assumed it just, that's the way it was, and we kind of have to wait to heaven to really get to experience God. But then there's the second approach, and that is refusing to settle for status quo. Later in my life, that became me too. I came to the point where living kind of a nice, manageable Christian life wasn't enough for me. Like Neo in The Matrix, I was sensing that there's something bigger going on. There's got to be more. And I was asking questions like this. Why? Why, God, are you so distant? God, I'm doing everything right for crying out loud. I'm a pastor. Why do I feel like a spiritual orphan? Well, the elephant in the room may be that I'm not the only one that's ever felt like that. There's probably a lot of you that at some point in your life, if you followed God for very long, you may feel like that too. And maybe, maybe you've even given up hope that the kind of intimate life that Jesus talks about is really a possibility for you anymore. Maybe you've settled for that nice, manageable Christian life. You tithe, you serve at church, and you try to be a good person. But occasionally, occasionally you hear that whisper. There's more. What I want to say to you is if you hear that whisper, listen to it. I searched on and off for about 25 years to find this kingdom presence. And a lot of the time I gave up hope. And the thing I learned was that the only chance you have of finding that kind of a life is when you search for it like it's the most important thing in the world. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, that the kingdom of God is like this treasure, this treasure that's hidden in a field. And when a man found it, in his joy, he sold everything that he had and he bought the field. That's how valuable it is. In my own experience, you don't find kingdom presence until you obey Jesus' words in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. It has to be your very, very first priority. And when you're hungry like that, though, you'll find it. Let's take a look at some of Jesus' words here in Luke 11 and 12. If you want to turn the page on your outline there. <clears throat> and we're talking about a lot of the kind of the famous epic things that Jesus said. And uh, in Luke 11 too is his epic prayer where the disciples ask him, how should we pray or what, what should we pray for? And even if you're not a churchgoer, you probably are aware of this prayer. And Jesus says, this is pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. And you probably know that next line, right? Your kingdom come. Jesus is authorizing us to call the kingdom of God into our life. So Jesus teaches us what to pray for. And then he goes right into a parable to teach us how we should pray. So the story is, I think, kind of funny, kind of crazy. It's about this uh, man who has... Um, uh, friends show up at his house late at night. He's on a long journey, and they don't have any food in the house. So he wants to feed his friend, and uh, he doesn't have any food. So he goes to his neighbor's house and pounds on the door and <laughs> says, wake up, I need some food. And uh, the neighbor says, go away, I'm in bed. I don't, I don't have any food for you right now, just go away. 
And uh, then we pick, I want to pick up the story here in verse 11, 8. And here's what Jesus says in this parable. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of the friendship, yet because of his shameless audacity. I love that. Shameless audacity. Some translations say persistence. He will get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then a few verses later it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And guys, the Holy Spirit is the primary way through which we experience God's presence. And then skipping down a few more verses, Jesus goes on to say, Seek the kingdom, and your Father, your Father will be pleased to give it to you. Isn't that awesome? You see, the Father's not stingy with the kingdom. The Father is pleased to give it to us when we ask. And that's a promise. Jesus is saying, if you don't settle for status quo, I will give you the kingdom. Now, by everybody's definition, probably on the outside, I was good. I was a spiritual leader. There was something inside of me whispering more. There's more. And maybe that whisper is in you. Maybe you secretly long for that. But maybe the hope has died in you that you could actually find that kind of relationship with God. And I think Jesus is saying to you today, don't give up. Keep asking. It's not a one and done kind of a thing. In this parable, uh, the, the Greek verb tenses is a continual asking. God doesn't want us just to ask and be hungry for him at one point in our life. It's not as though we, we ask for God and then we're like, okay, I'm good. I've got enough of God. I don't need any more. I'm good. God wants us to be hungry for him. And I just think it's kind of funny in that story. Jesus is telling us to be the annoying asker. It's like we're pounding on the door of heaven saying, God, give me kingdom presence. That's what he wants. He wants that kind of intensity and hunger. And those are the kind of people that the door of the kingdom is open to. So we see, um, so we see that we need to seek kingdom presence by refusing to settle for status quo. And another way I've learned to seek kingdom presence is by worshiping God with my emotions. So let's jump back into my story a little bit. After I got a master's in theology and out of a desire to serve God, I got involved in Young Life and then I worked at another church and did a youth internship. And honestly, I just felt this fire in me when I served God. I felt purpose and fulfillment and that carried my spiritual life for a long time. I started at Brookside as a youth pastor and there was fire in my eyes to reach youth. And I loved every minute. The youth ministries were growing, and it was just a fun, fun season of life for me. And then fast forward five or six years. I had been living off this uh, kind of a thrill of doing ministry for a while, but I was beginning to want more than ministry. I wanted God himself. I still had this nagging feeling that God was distant. Now, God was my number one priority, but I just felt like he was distant. And I was troubled by the fact that I really felt very little emotions toward God. I was fired up to serve God, but 
I wasn't so much fired up about God himself. I believed that Jesus died for my sins, but there wasn't part of my soul and heart that was really stirred by that. I think I was lacking what Jonathan Edwards calls holy affections for God. To, to be honest, I think, I think my approach to God was mostly cerebral and serving. You know, I'd read passages like um, Psalm 42, where it says, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. I'd look at those verses and I'd say, I can't relate to that. I'd just chalk it up to kind of like Bible talk or exaggeration. I mean, how could you really desire and hunger for a God like that when you can't see him or touch him? And then I had this random conversation that was really a milestone for me. So um, actually, I remember like it was last night, but it was a long time ago. But it was actually up in the hallway right outside of room 221. And it was right before a student leadership team meeting. And these two students were having this kind of dialogue or fight, and I kind of stumbled into it. I walked up, and they asked me to weigh in on, on what I thought about it. So one of the students asked me this question. If you don't feel like serving God, should you do it anyway, or is that disingenuous? Should you wait until you feel like it till you serve God? And I remember I answered really kind of quickly and definitively, and I said, your emotions don't matter. You do the right thing whether you feel like it or not. Now, of course, there's going to be times in our life when we don't feel like doing the right thing, and we do it anyway, right? But the reality is our emotions, our emotions really do matter. In fact, they're critical. Just after that, I started reading this book by John Piper, and it rocked my world called Desiring God. Now, Piper is this conservative evangelical, and he was showing from the Bible how emotions are commanded all over Scripture, and, you know, since we're uh, talking about firsts today, Jesus' first, Jesus also told us what the first and the greatest commandment is. Do you know what that is? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Now, I know, I know that is not just emotions. It's more than emotions, but surely it includes emotions. I mean, I can't imagine obeying that command and not having any feeling at all. I mean, your heart is the center of your desire. So how do you love God with your heart if your heart doesn't desire him? Piper is famous for this uh, saying. He says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Let me read that again. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So now, now I'm beginning to recognize in myself that my lack of emotions toward God fell short of giving him the glory that he deserved. You know, I didn't sense the presence of God in my life much. I mean, occasionally I did, but certainly not as much as I wanted to. And I had been blaming, I had been blaming God for that. And what I began to realize is that the problem, the problem wasn't on God's end. Was on my end. God wasn't distant from me. I was distant from God. So I set out to worship God with my emotions. And if that's where you're at today, be encouraged. Because I'm a fellow traveler of that road, and I'm calling back from that pathway and saying there are better days ahead. Well, you might ask the question, as I did, 
how do you stir up emotions um, when you don't have them? I mean, emotions are kind of like herd of cats, right? You can't control your emotions, right? Sort of. Like in the short run, you have very little influence over your emotions. But over the long run, it's a completely different story. Here's a few quick thoughts on that. Three things that I learned to help awaken my desire, my hunger for God, was first, prayer. Pray and beg God to stir your heart. Second, marinate your mind on the attributes of God, particularly his love and compassion. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, what comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. I cannot overstate how important your image of God is to your ability to experience his presence. So what I did is I, I got some, some psalms that talk about the attributes of God and I memorized them and meditated on them. You see, God is not a God who just wants your obedience. He longs to be close to you. I mean, like really close with you. you know, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Now, you may not be able to change your emotions um, immediately, but you do have the power of what your mind will dwell on. So over time, your heart will follow your mind if you ask for God's help. Well, the third thing that's helped me awaken emotions was to use singing as a tutor. You know, worship is so much more than singing. So please don't hear that. It's worship is way more than singing. But singing is a great place, maybe even the best place, to practice worshiping God with your emotions. So, you know, I had learned the secret that sometimes your feelings follow your mind. But then I also learned another secret, that your feelings sometimes follow your body. Sometimes we have to put our body in the position that we want our heart to be. Our body can actually train our heart. We bow a knee to teach our heart to surrender in humility. We put a hand in an open position like this to remind our heart that we need God and we need to receive from him. We stretch a hand out to, to remind our heart to celebrate with joy and to praise him. Sometimes we just have to put our body in the position that we want our heart to be. I don't know that I can adequately explain why, but trust me, there is a connection between expressing your emotions or your heart longing or your hunger in worship and being able to feel God's presence. So it's worth every ounce of effort that you put into it. So we seek God's kingdom presence by worshiping God with our emotions. And then last, I found that we learn to seek kingdom presence by recognizing and responding to his nudges. Now, for a long, long time, even as a pastor, I was really, really, really slow to attribute any nudge to God. I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to attribute anything to God unless I knew like 100% sure that was God. But here's the thing I learned, is you can make mistakes either way. You can make as many mistakes by ignoring a nudge that might be from God as you can by acting on a nudge that ended up not being from God. Either way, you're going to make mistakes. But here's the deal. You only develop your ability to discern what is a true nudge by stepping out and then evaluating. It's like everything else in life. 
you learn by experience. Now, I have this friend, his name's Ed, out in uh, San Diego. And because of years of being on the ocean, you know, he surfs a lot. He has learned the ability to read the waves. Now, when I look out at the ocean, all I see is this confusing mass of waters. He looks out at the same ocean that I look at, and he can read the swells. He knows which waves are coming that are going to break just right. That'll give you a great ride. Experience does that. You try it, you evaluate afterwards. You try it, you evaluate afterwards, and that builds experience. It's no different with our life with God. As you walk with Jesus and begin to notice how his spirit works, you'll be able to look out at the confusion of waters and waves in your life, and you'll be able to recognize what God is doing, and then you can join him there. Now, since I was so hesitant to listen for nudges from God for most of my life, I think I missed that sense of deep connection that we're meant to have with God. And I think that also opened the door for discouragement and reinforced those feelings I had that God was distant. And also, you know, when we fail to obey a nudge from God, <clears throat> those become more and more infrequent. And I found your life is with God is really, can I say, boring and stale if you never hear God speaking to you. And I've experienced some of that. But then, when we recognize and respond to God's nudges, honestly, that's where our spiritual life, it gets fun. That's when it's an adventure. And this is supposed to be a normal part of life in the kingdom, of kingdom presence. Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then Paul says in Romans 8, 14, for those that are led by the Spirit, they are children of God. Now, how else can we be led by the Holy Spirit unless we hear his voice and can discern, we have experience to be able to discern what he's doing? I tell you, since I began kind of stepping out and acting on nudges, it's made all the difference in my life with God. Let me give you just a recent example, just from a, actually a few weeks ago. So I have this uh, neighbor who had a friend or had her husband pass away unexpectedly. I went to the funeral, I wrote a note, but I never stopped over. And I had all sorts of excuses. A lot of days, I'm just really tired and I want to go home and I just, you know, I want to do my own thing. Uh, I knew her husband, but I didn't know her very well. And one day, I just felt this nudge that I should stop procrastinating. I had waited long enough and I should go over today. So I, uh, I got in my car, drove over to Whole Foods, and I got this kind of fancy loaf of bread, and I put a bow on it, and then I drove over to her house. I walked up to the door, and it's like seven-ish in the evening, so it's dark, and they, she has one of those side panels next to the door. You can see right into the house. I could see right into the living room. All the lights were off, and I could see her sitting in the couch, and she was kind of facing that way. And like I said, the lights were off, but I could see the kind of the glow of the TV. So there she was, sitting by herself, watching TV. So I kind of rang the doorbell and kind of geared myself up for an awkward conversation. And she came out, and I just told her, I am so sorry. I'm sorry you lost your husband. And I think God prompted me to come over and just pray for you today. And she just 
broke down crying. And um, she said she was just really lonely. And um, it was actually just an hour before that it hit her that that was her two-month anniversary of when her husband passed away. For whatever reason, that was just some kind of a trigger for her. And it kind of spiraled her heart into a really hard place. So in an hour when it was particularly hard for her, God nudged me to step in. You know what? I walked away so thankful to God. I was, I was thankful I could be maybe some little encouragement in her day, but I was so energized that God's real. He's speaking to me. That was the favorite part of my week. When you see God show up in your life, it's like a rocket fuel that just ignites the fires in your soul. So if you have an if you think you have a nudge from God, don't ignore it. Nudges will be like your own thoughts. But as you get experience with them, you'll notice that some have a certain weight to them, and they stick. So here's a few maybe suggestions for you as you're learning to recognize and respond to God's nudges. First, look for them and encourage others to look for them. I know there's a number of community groups that start every meeting with this question. What was your that might have been God moment this week. I'll say it again. What was that? What was your that might have been God moment this last week? And as you respond to God's nudges, I tell you, God invites him to do more. And that's God's kingdom presence showing up in your life. Another idea would be when you get a potential nudge from God, maybe run it by a wisdom check. And in your program, there's a web address there you can find a list of questions that you can ask yourself when to, to see some wisdom and is that from God? So in conclusion, I just want to say this. Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I'm still hungry for that. I'm hungry for more. I'm not satisfied yet. And I know I'm not there yet. And honestly, there's a little bit of an encouragement in that because that means there's better days ahead. There's more of God to discover. So as we're wrapping up today, if you would like to go farther in this kind of this topic of experiencing more of God's presence, I'd really recommend this book to you. It's awesome. It's by Alec Rollins. It's, it's uh, called Presence, Experiencing More of God. We took our GO teams through it last year, and it is awesome. It's really easy to read and lots of stories. And we want to facilitate getting you that into your hands this morning. So um, what we did is that on that tear-off in your program, we'll reserve a copy for you and have it ready for next week. If you just fill that out and give it to a host on your way out. So Brookside, let's make 2018 a year where we seek first kingdom presence. What if, what if hosting God's presence was our most important value as a church? So everything that happened in this building from one end to the other, we were intentional about hosting God's presence. You know, I don't know what we're known for as a church out in the public. I hope, I hope we're known as a church that's friendly, a church that serves faithfully, that's generous, that does things with excellence. These would be awesome, awesome things to be known for. But what if... What if the number one thing we were known for was a people who hosted the presence of God? 
So much so when a visitor comes and experiences a Sunday with us or any event with us, that they walk away and the number one thing that they think is, I felt God there. Let us be that kind of church that seeks first the kingdom of God. And I think God would smile on that. Well, this morning, I didn't want to just talk about experiencing God's kingdom presence and then not give you time to actually do it yourself. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. And uh, as they're doing that, I'm just going to encourage you to spend some time with God. You know, in Psalms, it says that God inhabits the praise of his people, that God is literally here when we praise him. Ashley's going to sing a song over us, and um, I just encourage you to stay seated. Maybe put your hands on your lap. Maybe put your palms up, kind of in a posture to receive from God. I'd encourage you to close your eyes. Maybe even picture Jesus in front of you. What do you want to say to him? Do you want a touch from Jesus? Do you want him to stir something inside of you so that you hunger for his presence? What do you want to say to him? What do you think he wants to say to you? Spend some time and talk to Jesus as Ashley sings this song over us.